the UK SSD podcast, bringing the Sustainable Development Goals to life. Hello and welcome to this special edition of Planet Pod with me, Amanda Carpenter, produced in partnership with UK SSD, a cross-sector network working together to support the delivery of the Sustainable Development Goals in the UK. I'm delighted to be co-hosting this series with Emily Auckland, who's the Network Director, and this is the third programme in our series. Emily, hello and welcome back to the Virtual Planet Pod studio. Hi, Amanda. Thanks very much for having us. And in this series of podcasts, we're looking at how the Sustainable Development Goals can create a socially just and green recovery from the pandemic. Now, the reason that we're focused on the SDGs is because we can use them to frame and future-proof our plans and to work together across the whole of society. They have the widespread support of business and other organisations and the UK government has committed to them. So we don't need to start from scratch as we decide what is important for a post-pandemic UK. The SDGs provide a really important framework for local community action. And we've already talked in this series about uh, community cohesion and the changes we've seen in our communities and the importance of putting SDGs into city planning. But today we're going to expand the narrative and look at a much wider context. Um, and who better to do that than our guest, Davide Stronati, who's the global sustainability and climate change leader at Mott McDonald, an international engineering firm. Davide has been global sustainability lead there since November 2012. And before that, he was seconded into Anglian Water, where he was instrumental in leading their carbon strategy, considered at the cutting edge of low carbon infrastructure asset management. Not only is he an engineer, but he also has a passion for sustainability and climate change issues. Davide, welcome to the podcast and thanks for joining us. Good morning. Hi, Amanda. And hi, Emily. Thanks for having me around. Hi, Davide. So one of the things that you and I have talked about before and um, something that Amanda and I have talked about in preparing for this discussion today is really about how uh, infrastructure has played a part during the pandemic. Um, I wonder whether maybe if you could just give us a quick summary of your kind of observations uh, and the experiences you've had, particularly during the lockdown, um, of, of how infrastructure has contributed to our social structures and, and sense of well-being. Sure. Well, I, I think that, you know, uh, infrastructure, generally speaking, is not always uh, a given to a certain extent in our society. And, um, and what the pandemic did was actually highlighting how important, how essential uh, infrastructures are. Uh, think about this conversation we are having. We are fully dependent on a um, wire of copper uh, that is entering into our uh, homes, properties. So effectively, we've been able to keep in touch uh, with our colleagues, with our friends, with our families through uh, internet. And, uh, and that is uh, the communication uh, piece of infrastructure. We need to remember um, also the hospitals and the healthcare uh, infrastructure. Uh, we managed to build a, in no time um, hospitals around the country and to face uh, an emergency. We need to think about uh, what happened when we were pushed to, to reduce our waste production home because they were coming and, and collecting waste uh, on an alternative uh, basis because effectively uh, we need to enter into a, a moment of emergency. Think about the water, think about the energy, uh, think about the moment when actually um, we were lucky in the UK and that, you know, during the lockdown, uh, the weather was great, it was fantastic. But effectively, uh, water companies, they were starting talking about uh, drought. So think about the pandemic, uh, living the pandemic with a drought. How can you wash your hands? 
So there are all these aspects that effectively are bringing into life the importance of infrastructure in our day-to-day life, whether we are in an emergency or not. David, can I ask you, do you think our infrastructure system was as flexible and resilient as it could have been? Because the, the sorts of problems you've just been outlining, I mean, as you say, we were very lucky we didn't have a drought and we were very lucky that we didn't have, you know, we actually still had our rubbish collected. But do we have the resilience built into the system to allow us to adapt um, quickly enough on a general basis? I think the best way to test resilience is going through emergencies. So uh, I must admit, we were not too bad at all. Uh, you may argue we were lucky uh, as well. But then there's always this very uh, delicate balance between understanding what resilience is and how much of luck uh, is in the, in, in, in the picture. I think that uh, we are coming out of, the, of this event um, in a good shape from an infrastructure perspective. Uh, I think we were resilient enough, if you want to say, uh, but equally, uh, what I've just mentioned uh, about a drought, uh, and you know, they're talking about a second wave, uh, possibly uh, improbable, uh, is there, the menace is there. And uh, if a second wave is in autumn and there are floods, uh, just think about what would be, uh, you know, living what we live with floods when actually they are pushing out, uh, out of home. So I think that we need to stress test a little bit more uh, about these possible scenarios where we finally find that we are much more interconnected uh, to nature and events than we think. So maybe this is a, a good point to go back to a conversation about the Sustainable Development Goals and the work that you've been doing, not just at McDonald, but in some of your other roles as well, um, and, and the role that the SDGs play in the infrastructure community and the, and the value they can contribute. Um, maybe if you just summarised uh, some of your, your background work on the SDGs. The SDGs, coming from the United Nations, uh, they took a little while uh, for me to make sense because this is the instinctive reaction we have in uh, the so-called developed uh, world. Uh, something coming from the United Nations or is not applicable to me or is wishful thinking. Uh, and in this case, is neither or nor in the sense that, um, you know, events in life going through uh, living it on your skin um, make you understand that actually um, what is coming, for instance, in this case, the SDGs from the United Nations, is actually pretty meaningful and is fully applicable to the UK. So I think that the gate uh, to enter into the SDG world for me has been being fully aware of the inequality that is existing in this country. Uh, so uh, Social Mobility Commission, uh, Grenfell Tower, these were all milestones uh, in the in my understanding of how important the SDGs are. So then uh, it, I need to make sense of them uh, for my own organization. And, and for us, uh, our mantra is opening opportunities with connected thinking. And immediately I saw the opportunity, uh, actually, that these 17 goals, if you, you know, link them all together as they are, uh, they open a huge amount of opportunities, really, in thinking about solutions that consider not just addressing one of the SDGs, but actually uh, finding these hidden links between them. And, and then, you know, uh, working with Emily, and uh, I saw immediately that 
we needed to raise the bar uh, in the UK. Because I think that they are not as fully understood and uh, I'm not sure they are even uh, accepted uh, as a framework uh, which can be used in the UK for the next 10 years, but beyond as well. Uh, I'm really not envious of the United Nations finding what's after the SDGs after 2030, because effectively they are such a nice and you know robust and complete framework that we need to address. So I think that the real value uh, of the SDGs is not just in setting the framework, uh, but is in the interconnectivity and the uh, you know interdependence uh, among them. We must not use the uh, SDGs as 17 silos. Because otherwise, it would defeat the purpose. Uh, we need to uh, work in as many as we can and find how they are connected among each other. So how have you done that at, at MOT? How has that been done in practice? Well, in practice, you start initially from a narrative. You start initially from communication. You start initially from examples of, of the past, uh, where actually infrastructure projects that deliver much more than just an elevated commas. Um, a sea defense wall, for instance, in Colwyn Bay, uh, where there were two different options, um, building a wall um, of rocks or actually rebuilding the beach that gave, uh, you know, importance and wealth and, and to, 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 to the locality, to the community. And, and, and the choice went on the latter. And therefore, uh, jobs creation, people enjoying again, going out and hanging around and a restaurant is doing very well. Um, see sports center uh, that is actually increasing the activity of people. So you see immediately the cascade effect of well-being and fitness and equality. So it's just a fantastic story where uh, you can really bring into life the meaning of the SDGs through a simple project like, and by all means, simple under inverted commas, because it's not as simple as I'm making it, um, protecting um, the, 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 you know, the properties there uh, from, from the sea, that it is rising, it's becoming increasingly aggressive uh, because of climate change. Um, so taking it from there, uh, you start increasing awareness uh, among your colleagues and outside the organization as well, of the power uh, of the SDGs. Clearly, um, what is needed for the decision-making level, which I think is the second important step uh, after awareness and acceptance is taking action, uh, is people asking you, but how can I do that? I need numbers, I need quantities, rather than just uh, a narrative. And I think this is the main difficulty that we are having uh, you know, uh, across the industry is quantifying all the SDGs. Now, this is a challenge in itself, frankly speaking. And I'm not sure even it is a challenge that we should take in its entirety. Uh, in other terms, it is possible to assess um, the quantitatively, uh, you know, some of the, uh, we can call them indicators uh, about the SDGs. However, uh, assessing them all in once, I think it would be far too much. It would raise complexity to a level that I'm not sure it would bring uh, the value, the marginal value uh, that the effort uh, would take. So I think that as far as we are able to 
address um, few of the SDGs which are important for the local area, working in the community, I think we are going to, to make uh, progress. So that is one of the, the problems, isn't it, with the SDGs, is there is a lot of attention put on how organisations measure their activities or their projects. And actually, as a result of all that focus on measurement, we can lose some of really the value of the SDGs, which is the kind of higher higher um, contribution they make to society, the point around interlinkages about understanding some of the complexity that exists in our world, but also you know, just actually the ambition of the agenda. And the ambition in itself should be something that drives us forward. The, what we measure should come, come secondary to that. But in a way, we've kind of maybe got it a bit skewed and we're focusing a lot on you know, how do I as an organisation, what are the KPIs I use to measure my performance and communicate with my stakeholders? Um, so it's interesting to hear you you talk about the kind of the, the focus that you've had within MOT and within the industry around measurement, um, because I think the risk of that is that we we lose our our ambition and, our, and we actually slow down progress because we spend so much time on on that indeed and just to confirm uh, to this you know the instinctive reaction is to move immediately into targets and indicators uh, that they sit uh, behind the SDGs and they underpin them and i think that generally speaking uh, in the infrastructure sector for projects of any uh, magnitude that can be precisely what may freeze, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the progress of the SDGs because effectively um, not all the targets are meaningful, not all the indicators are meaningful. And, uh, and if you need to, to win, um, you know, the challenge to, to, to make the SDGs accepted, I think this is the best way to actually lose the battle. So stick on the SDGs, uh, stick on what they say, what they are, and, and find the value out of them rather than trying to tick all the boxes of targets and indicators uh, that they sit behind. Davide, I can see in an engineering and construction context that, that focusing on certain SDGs like, you know, 13, which is around climate and the work you've been doing to reduce your own carbon emissions as a firm and driving down carbon emissions across some of the projects you work with. I can see that that would have real resonance for your colleagues and it would work well and everyone would say, yes, I can understand that. I would buy into that. You know, I maybe buy into the one around innovation and infrastructure because it sits in our direct framework. But some of the, as you've been saying, some of the SDGs seem a little like outliers really don't they in terms of you know the work that you do and you are a, a, a construction business and you're not necessarily looking at perhaps reducing inequalities or education how do you gain uh, traction and input and buy-in from your colleagues to embrace that whole framework because as we've said they are because they're so interconnected and because they're so well framed together you really need to look at all of them and you've said you cannot look at them as silos how do you get that kind of buy-in from colleagues because I can see that some of the people would say well this is just you know a barrier to profit and we are a business and we need to make money sure uh, I think this is an interesting observation and uh, that actually as I said before uh, the SDG they, they the gate let's put in this way um, for the SDGs in my case was actually the social aspect was the inequality. And, uh, and that created an interesting debate, uh, first internally within the industry as well, on tackling um, inequality. Because effectively, if we think about a piece of infrastructure uh, is built for people, it's built by people, for people, for the society, for the community. So you're shifting um, really the objective uh, of your thinking from a 
technical solution, engineering solution into who is going to use it, how they are going to use it. Uh, so you start immediately talking about outcomes, uh, social outcomes, inclusive social outcomes. So this is the mantra uh, that somehow we developed um, three and a half years ago. Uh, and, and one of the events that I mentioned before triggered is thinking and taking action. Because effectively, the social pillar of sustainability has been, by all means, I don't want to be unfair, but somehow neglected uh, to a certain extent. Because it started with the environmental. Clearly, uh, the financial aspects have been always present, but not always they've been talking to each other. Uh, so the social was always left to the people working in the social sphere. So effectively, real sustainability is merging these three. Um, so as I said before, it needs to make sense. And you start with a narrative. And you see immediately that that can even become the purpose of your organization. Because effectively, what we are seeing in these days uh, is that companies are analyzing much, much more into their death uh, about why do we exist? What do we want to do uh, in our life? Because what we want to do is really waking up in the morning, you know, in a good feeling that uh, there's something to, to look forward during the day and can be during the week and can be during the month and then uh, time carries on. So I think that this social purpose uh, is crucially important and it is uh, at the base uh, of our of our purpose as an organization. We want to deliver uh, social outcomes. So interesting that, you know, I saw this development during, during these last three, four years where our colleagues are clearly interested in tackling inequalities, are clearly interested in the uh, gender uh, inequality. And, and we want to make, um, you know, a difference. I think it is part of the mindset of an engineer. Uh, if you see a problem, you don't divert from the problem. You actually want to tackle the problem. And, uh, and there are so many different ways that you can do that in our own life, uh, but also professionally uh, as well in our projects. So yes, indeed, uh, it may have been not easy at the beginning uh, to introduce it, uh, the concept of, of these social uh, outcomes. But I must admit, it picked up uh, immediately. And, uh, and I think right now is it definitely the forefront of McDonald, but I think the industry as well uh, is moving more and more, especially in this uh, COVID period uh, with, the, with the return to some sort of normality or rebuilding the economy. The social outcome is there at the forefront uh, of all of us that we are trying to uh, really make a difference. Emily, that must be music to your ears that the SDGs are a motivator for people to go to work. <laughs> <laughs> And that, you know, you can frame your whole business within that, within within the SDG goals as the reason that people get up and go to work on a Monday morning. Absolutely. I mean, I think it is interesting, though, because it's very encouraging to hear Davide talk about you know, the, the um, motivation being addressing inequality and, and uh, creating social outcomes, because that is often the neglected sphere of of sustainability. But I, I do think that we are in a situation at the moment where you know, we despite the pandemic we inevitably have a huge amount of focus in the industry on net zero and climate because that has become a very dominant agenda 
Uh, and there is a role for us and for the SDGs to play in broadening that out and making sure that actually we're still thinking about the kind of social dimensions of net zero and of a, of a um, 1.5 degree future. Um, so I think, I mean, it'd be interesting maybe to just think about, particularly during the pandemic, we've talked about this sort of reliance on infrastructure that we've had. How have you know, do you think perceptions have changed and how have they changed and how is that an opportunity for us to bring the SDGs to the fore as we move forwards? If I can just chip in on this, uh, and I will try to give an answer to what you <laughs> just said, but um, whenever we talk about the net zero agenda mm-hmm. and um, the CCC report, uh, the Committee on Climate Change report of May uh, 2019, stated very clearly that change in technology and in infrastructure is not going to take us mm. to net zero. We need to work on the social aspects. I call them social aspects, basically demand management, the behavioral aspects. So I think there's a, at least a theoretical and practical as well, by all means, because uh, I think uh, base and the government, they understand this and they want to shift the mindset that net zero is not just about climate change, it's not just about the environment, it is about clearly the economy and it is about the social aspects uh, of all of us, uh, without talking about the just and fair transition. So I think that um, in a real net zero world, uh, as we want to see, as will be possible uh, to, to, you know, to, to, to create and to deliver, the social aspects are going to be as fundamental as the technological and the technical ones. So I think this is another, you know, uh, little myth that we need to, to really uh, live and breathe uh, in everything we do and, and to embed it also uh, in how we deliver uh, infrastructure assets, projects, but also how we manage them. So crucial, important. We're at a dangerous time though, aren't we? Because we've been thinking about post-COVID recovery and there'll be enormous pressure on firms to build back quickly, to reinflate the economy, to get involved in big projects. There might be a danger of some vanity infrastructure projects, dare I say that. How do you think we can use this as an opportunity? Because what we really need to do is, is, is re-engineer the whole system, isn't it? To think differently about how we live our lives, the resources we use, the, the demands we make on the planet, all of those issues. How can we avoid sort of coming back too quickly and actually squandering the opportunity we've got to, to do things differently and have that more systemic long-term approach? I think this is a real challenge in itself. And, um, and in previous discussions we were having with, with Emily, um, we actually uh, came up with this kind of the, the, the pandemic feeling. If we try to remember uh, and to really leave it again, and the feelings and, and the decision-making process that we had in March and April 2020, where I think we reassessed what essential was and we gave actually uh, a very high definition of what was essential. If we bear that in mind, uh, when we strategized within the business, within the government, within even our private own lives, I think that is going to set the principles and the values uh, really maybe it's not right saying getting it right uh, because I think that was an emergency and we don't want to live constantly in an emergency feeling. Uh, it was not a great time <laughs> at all. Um, but there was an element of refocusing 
uh, on what was important that actually was pretty helpful. So if we can live again that period without the anxiety, if possible, uh, and without the real emergency, that would be fantastic, uh, I think. I think there are enough people around that are holding mirrors and, and you know, and uh, and actually writing letters to the prime minister, uh, <laughs> subscribed by 150 uh, businesses and individuals, uh, like the UK SSD did uh, with the Global Compact. So, and uh, and by all means, we were not the only ones. So I think there's a there's a real demand pressure uh, on the government to really consider this as a as actually a valid opportunity. And so I think there's also enough evidence uh, that they call it green recovery. And I'm not sure the definition is perfect, but nevertheless, uh, the build back better uh, is a better way of, of going back also from the jobs creation uh, opportunity, the multiplier effect and the skills um, leveling up or rebalancing uh, really the, the country. So. I think he's taking all the right boxes uh, to, a certain, to a certain extent, regardless uh, from ideology. Davide, this isn't just an issue for your particular business, is it? It's an issue for the whole industry, particularly in how it positions itself with perhaps with young people who are thinking about engineering as a career, but also widening the narrative amongst all of us who may not be as informed as we could be. Indeed. I mean, um, when we were referring to the, to the importance of the SDGs for, for Mott McDonald, we are not the only organization uh, in the infrastructure sector that is considering the SDGs. There are um, peers, there are uh, asset owners, there are contractors and so on. Uh, importantly, the institutional civil engineers, uh, a couple of years ago, in October 2018, they organized the Global Engineering Congress, um, which is the a very important um, convention between the um, UK, the uh, civils in the United States and the civils in Canada. And it was centered on the SDGs. It was centered around maybe five uh, of the most important SDGs uh, from the engineering infrastructure perspective. Uh, but, but the reason uh, to, to, you know, to basically have the SDGs as the base uh, for discussion was also that they want to become much more attractive and appealing uh, to the newer gen generations of engineers, the ones that are uh, coming out of the university where they live and breathe uh, sustainability and the SDGs. And, and they're actually looking for answers and they're looking for opportunities where to apply what they learn uh, during their academic and the academic years. So I think that the institution is really trying their best uh, to promote uh, the SDGs from an engineering perspective. I mean, I think that's a really important point about the idea that we remind ourselves, you know, what was essential during the spring of, of 2020. And, and in a way that speaks to the basic needs aspect of the sustainable development goals. You know, do all people in this country have housing, you know, clothes, food, water, electricity? Well, no, they don't. We haven't been able to fulfill that yet. And actually, the, the pandemic has shone a spotlight once again on those deprivations. And then there's a question of, so what else do we need for, uh, you know, a sense of well-being? And, and that's where things like access to nature and green space and, um, you know, social contact, time with family, time with community, that, that's where that all comes into play. 
And then there's the kind of the other tier, which is perhaps that actually we don't really need these things. And, and it's, it's, you know, that maybe we've been we've been programmed to think we need five cars or, you know, 24 dresses. Um, I certainly was programmed for a while to think that I needed a new outfit for every event I ever went to. That's no longer the case. But it's, you know, we've been programmed to think a certain way about consumption and and perhaps what what we've seen during the pandemic is is an opportunity to rethink that and rethink our values, or even just be reminded of the values that we have uh, that we perhaps had been forgotten because of all the other noise and stuff that had been going on in our lives. But as we as we look forward, as we think about you know what happens next, what do you think we need to do to? accelerate action on the SDGs to to make the SDGs the framework that we use to get to 2030 and beyond as you say I think that you know it is always energizing and lovely to talk among us the converted <laughs> I think we need to stretch a little bit and uh, and move outside our comfort zone uh, this is what we should really aim and try to do. Because as you were talking about being programmed or not being programmed, uh, I've no idea whether I was programmed or not. Uh, but this way of thinking has been always uh, with me. Now, um, how to make this reality for all the others that actually they want just to enjoy life uh, again in their full and, and therefore buying and consuming uh, much, much more. Now, um, this is delicate because we enter into the individual sphere of interest and, and power. And, uh, and, um, and you know, uh, we need to be mindful of, of others. Uh, however, what this is precisely what we need to, we need to make sense to them that effectively their decisions uh, are actually affecting all of us and, uh, and taking maybe being influenced as well, and maybe every now and again I can go and get a new shirt. Uh, if there's nothing bad. Uh, and, um, and, and, and therefore, uh, trying really to, to mix uh, a little bit more with the ones we want to influence, uh, whether they are politicians or neighbors or colleagues, um, but we need to spread a little bit more this message uh, without being patronizing this is crucially important. Uh, we don't have the truth. Uh, this is our truth. And uh, we think it is a truth that maybe is suitable for the planet, for all of us. Uh, but others have different ideas. And therefore, it is with them that we need to work together in, in progressing the agenda of the SDGs. That sounds like a perfect place to, to pull this discussion to a close. I think it's that sense of the interconnectivity that you've expressed so so clearly, Davide, and the idea that actually we are all equal actors in this, um, and that whether your role is in a in you know in a, in a large business or an individual perhaps working from home on a small sort of scale, we we all have a responsibility to play, and we need to make sure that we do our part, but but we do our part together to to change the outcomes for all of us. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been absolutely fascinating. Um, we didn't talk in anything like enough about flooding, which of course is that pinch point around climate change, isn't it? And so perhaps we'll have to come back and discuss that another day. Uh, thank you for being part of the podcast. Emily, thank you for co-hosting yet another fascinating discussion for UKSSD and for everyone for listening. If you want to find out more about UKSSD, visit 
visit the website and you can download previous episodes of the podcast there. So thank you to my guests and thank you for listening. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks, Amanda. The UK SSD podcast, bringing the sustainable development goals to life. Thank you.